Let me ask you to join me in your copy of God's Word at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you're turning there, I would simply introduce myself. As my brother David had already uh, said, I'm Richard Thomas. I'm the pastor at Mount Calvary Presbyterian Church. And I should say that when I came to Mount Calvary uh, a little over 10 years ago, it was in my heart and mind if God would give us a way to plant a church that we wanted to do that. Uh, it was a few years after that that as we began to look for a new assistant pastor, we began to talk with Justin Kendrick, uh, that as I began to unfold pieces of my vision for Mount Calvary, he said, hey, you know, you're talking about that church plant. That might be good if I was a part of that. <laughs> and uh, so our hearts were knit together f- from very early on uh, with the full intention of seeing not just this church planted, but other churches as well in Spartanburg County. It's my own heart's desire to see um, our presbytery become more robust. Uh, There are so many people who need to be one to Christ right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Amen? That is in fact the case. So many of our friends and neighbors... Uh, Sometimes they claim nothing about the Lord. Many of them uh, will uh, claim some sort of relationship and yet lack that vital uh, life that comes through the Lord Jesus. And I think that churches like Grace are essential to uh, reaching um, our city uh, for Christ. And we're so glad that you're here. The session at Mount Calvary uh, loves you. You're seeing each one of the elders come each week and help serve communion and Uh, We're so glad for that. One of the things that a small group of us are doing every Friday, uh, Friday morning, is praying for revival for our city and for our county, that God would send His Holy Spirit in great measure where there would be massive conversions uh, that could be found 40 and 50 and 60 years from now, where our city would truly be changed through conversions. And we think that Grace Church is a part of that. And uh, so we... We are aware of you, our hearts are with you, and pray. our prayers are with you um, as well. Let me say it's a great honor to be here um, today. I feel like I'm, I'm late. Uh, you guys have been rolling for some time, and yet this is my very first time to actually come. I, I came to one function when you guys were at Justin's house uh, on Sunday evenings. Uh, but other than that, this is my first time of being with you, and it is a real, real pleasure um, to be here. David, I, I, it may be Mount Calvary who got the upgrade this morning, but um, uh, thanks for your uh, poking at Justin. That really encourages me. Um, <laughs> if you have your Bible open, um, we're going to look at verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, but I want to read verse 14 through 18 to give us some context because in the, the course of the sermon I'm going to refer to Um, verses other than verse 15. But read with me uh, God's word. Remember this is his inspired and errant, his fully authoritative rule, our only rule of faith and practice. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort 
who have strayed concerning the truth, <clears throat> saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever and ever. Would you bow your head with me and let us seek our great God for his work of illumination. Let's pray together. Father, why is it that on this planet of almost 7 billion people that we have been chosen to uh, not only be able to bear the name of your son as Christians and to call his name in worship and praise of Jesus Christ, but to have the full revelation of your will given in 66 written books. Why is that? Why are we so privileged? We realize that to whom much is given, much will be required. And so as we sit before you, we would ask that you would overwhelm us this morning with a meeting. Uh, We don't want this to be a perfunctory uh, appointment in our week. But Father, it is our desire to encounter the Almighty. And we already have in singing your praise and in praying and in the confession of our faith. But Father, inhabit not just your praise, but inhabit the preaching of the word, that we would be conformed to the image of your blessed Son. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think about uh, the church, the capital C church, the church American, the church universal, the church Spartanburg, if you will, As I think about the gift of another year, assuming the Lord doesn't return in 2012 and assuming we live throughout this year, what is it that we need to hear that will cause 2012 to be used most effectively? Well, there could be several things that I could say to a congregation like this, uh, but one of those things is this call to be people of the Word. It's an easy thing to sort of drift away from a deep commitment to the Word. I would imagine that all of those who claim Christ as their Savior here would say, yes, I'm a person of the Word, a people of the book. But what we find here in 2 Timothy is this call to be diligent. Some of you will recognize the name of Alexander White. Alexander White, he was a pastor, he was a professor in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And... Um, As he uh, came to old age, it was said of Pastor White that he continued every day to prepare a sermon, even when he was too old to mount the pulpit and to actually preach this sermon. Every day he prepared a sermon. Now you could say, well, Richard, that's one of those preacher types, and that's one of those professor types, academia sort of thing. We, We would expect that but not really of rank-and-file folk on an everyday basis that there would be this deep and everyday commitment to God's Word. Let me tell you another story of somebody who I think is sort of a, an everyday person. You might uh, remember the name of a lieutenant general in World War II. His name was William Harrison. Not, not as famous, say, as Patton, but someone who was equally as exalted. Um, Lieutenant General Harrison was someone who was highly decorated. He led the uh, 30th Infantry Division. He was the first one into Belgium when they liberated Belgium. Um, Eisenhower said that this was uh, uh, the most gifted soldier that he had ever run into. 
in World War II, he won every single medal for valor um, except the Congressional Medal of Honor, Silver Star, Bronze Star, on and on, all those medals that I don't totally understand. He even won a Purple Heart, one of the few generals to be injured in World War II. That just seems unfathomable that you would have someone who was uh, of that high of leadership who was actually injured, but he was. One of the things that was notable about uh, General Harrison was is that when he was a cadet at West Point as a 20-year-old, he resolved in his heart at that point to every year read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament four times every year. Now, I want you to imagine how busy you could be as a general in a, in a world war. And it said that through the course of World War II that he, in fact, stayed up with his reading. Now, there would be days, there would be a couple of days where he might get behind when, in fact, 24-7, literally 24 hours a day, he is involved in keeping people alive. But when they would back off and there would be the one or two or three day resupply, it was said that he would catch up so that when 1945 in June rolled around, he was still on schedule. And so that when he was 90 years old, he had read through the Old Testament 70 times and he had read through the New Testament 280 times. Is that phenomenal? I find that just absolutely staggering. But here's someone who was committed to the Word. What it says is, is that even though we can be very busy, we can, in fact, be diligent uh, to present ourselves as approved before um, the Father. It also proves that the Word of God changes people. Uh, Lieutenant, Har Lieutenant General Harrison was someone who uh, was noted for his godliness. Uh, he uh, led an officer's Christian organization for many, many years um, in his days in the army. But it says so much to us. What a glorious example that we, in fact, would do what verse 15 says, being diligent. Well, let's focus at the text just for a moment, and uh, then we'll make uh, several points of application. I want you to notice, first of all, be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker. What is a worker? <clears throat> Well, the text communicates to us someone who obviously is exerting themselves, someone who is working very hard, surely by the grace of God. There is no uh, desire, there is no effort that is put forth without the Holy Spirit first giving that grace to, in fact, do that. And yet the call is very much to be diligent and to be this worker. This worker as well is someone who is not a quibbler. A quibbler is, is kind of an old word, isn't it? Uh, a quibbler is someone who gets lost in the minutia and somehow by focusing on all of the little points doesn't see the greater picture that's there. No, this worker is someone who is giving himself to the work of God's Word, who understands life under the authority of the Word of God and that it is the Word that will guide his course and not just when things are easy or when things are convenient, but when it costs as well. Notice how the verse starts, verse 15. Be diligent. Um, William Hendrickson, who is one of our uh, favorite commentators of the Reformed tradition, he translated, be diligent. He said, do your utmost. Do your utmost. It, it's, the essence of it is having a zealous persistence to accomplish a particular task. It means to be focused. 
And as a result, if, if any of you have read the, the old King James Version, it would say here, study. Study to show yourself approved before the Lord. And notice that as there is this presentation of yourself approved to God, notice who is to be pleased. It's not the pleasing of ourselves, nor of the pleasing of others, but it is to be pleasing before the Lord. It's for the Lord as we are brought, as it were, in an inspection where God says, approved. In fact, I see what you are doing in your diligence, and I find you pleasing to me. And that's our desires. We are studying the Word. Yes, it is to inform our hearts. Yes, it is to give us the victory in sin. But it is to bring pleasure to the heart of our God every day. Fervent, consistent, persistent effort to have the approval of God. Now, make no mistake, we stand before the Father without spot or blemish or wrinkle. If we're in Christ, in fact, uh, we are those who are holy and blameless and above reproach. That's what Colossians says. And while we occupy that position, yet there is this call, in fact, to live in a way that is pleasing before the Father. And we do so in the way that we handle the Word. Let me make a brief application as we're moving through here. Um, The believer's greatest desire ought to be when he steps over the threshold that he hears the words... Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you remember Matthew 25 where the Lord is telling the parable of the talents or the minus and one person has five, one person has two, one person has one. And the five and the two, the person with the five and the two, they are taking their their talents, their endowments, those things that God has entrusted into them and they are using them and, and in a real sense giving a 100% return. They took five and made five more. They took two, they made two more. And these, of course, are juxtaposed to the one who has but one and he buries it. And God comes to that servant and says, You wicked and lazy servant. God is calling us to, in fact, as we labor in the endowment that is the Word of God, to labor well that we would hear, well well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, look back at verse 15 here. We see, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. The idea of being ashamed here is literally, the word literally means to to have done nothing where you would be red-faced. Think about this. Anyone who is ignoring the word or who mishandles the word or who misinterprets the word or detracts from the word or adds to it or takes away from it is someone who would have an opportunity to be red-faced. And God is saying, don't do that. Don't live in that way. Well, look at the third phrase of verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved. Um, be this worker who does not need to be ashamed. And then thirdly, this third phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. Or, Or what this phrase is communicating is handling accurately the word of God. The word to, um, rightly divide means to cut straight. I want you to think about this just for a moment. I know Steve is someone who works with wood a great deal. Imagine that we had a four by eight sheet of plywood. And we need to 
we are we are building a wall and we are matching that up with another sheet of plywood and yet we have too much plywood and we've got to make a cut in order to make this work <clears throat> and we're going to cut we're going to cut it across the eight foot side and we need to cut it straight and so we get out our our tape and we mark two spots on it we pull a chalk line real tight we pop the line so that we've got a line that's drawn all the way across and then we break out our circular saw now <clears throat> If we cut this straight, well, then these two pieces of plywood will come together and there'll be no gaps. But we don't, and we're, we're veering. We're trying to keep that, that saw on the line, and we just can't do it. And so finally, the, the piece is cut, and we lay it up there. And in some places, the two boards meet, but in other places, there are just big gaps, a two-inch gap that's just missing. We didn't cut it straight. And what the call of God upon our lives is, is that we, in fact, cut the word straight. We handle it rightly. We handle it uh, properly. We treat it as uh, God would have us to um, treat it. It means that we are studying it well. It means that we are interpreting it according to the rules of interpretation. It means we're starting with the fact that we understand that this is an inspired word that it is an inerrant word. We're not studying it so as to find errors in it as though there were errors in it. We are understanding that it is God's authoritative word that has come to us. And then not only are we studying it and we are, we are, we are pulling the parts out of it and looking at them very closely and then putting them all back together so that we can make application to our life. Notice how the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul, what he uses as a reference to God's Word, rightly div dividing the Word of truth. Again, this Word, this communication without error, and as a result, it is authoritative, it is sufficient, it is the sole source of truth. <laughs> Do you live like that's the case? Let me tell a story that John MacArthur told. He tells the story of a pastor who was trying to explain away how um, this pastor's first child had been conceived out of wedlock. And this pastor maintained that true marriage began at the time of the coming together with his wife rather than at the wedding. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. In order to explain away this sin or to live with his sin, he contradicts Scripture, does he not? Because the Scripture says that there is an unconditional sinfulness about the sin of fornication. In fact, if you take this view, it would be impossible to commit that particular sin. It's interesting that when this man's wife was asked about the indiscretion, and about it being made public, she replied, Well, now I understand the meaning of John 8.32, which says, The truth shall set you free. But do you hear what she's saying? She's not saying uh, John 8.32 is a reference about Jesus' deity and about His Messiahship, and when you embrace that, it's that truth that sets you free. Um, she is taking the Scriptures and twisting it. She's not cutting it straight. There's another story that's told about a woman who posed nude for a pornographic magazine. 
And she said that the experience brought her closer to God. She claimed the scriptural promise, draw near to God and he will draw near to you from James 4.8. But again, the scripture is not cut straight. It's a big swervy line that has been cut here. The mishandling of scripture is seen in many ways not least of which for this woman that the previous verse in James, James 4, 7 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, it's one thing to fall into sin and to genuinely repent and to know that God forgives that. He is not stingy with forgiveness. He's ready to forgive that and to bring cleansing. That's, That's... That is so true. We can't miss that. But it is another thing altogether to take certain pieces of the Scripture in order to explain away our sin. Okay, well, that's just a little bit of exegesis about verse 15. Let's make a couple of applications as we close out today. Number one, um, the kind of work that the Christian workman is called to do is biblical reading and biblical study and biblical teaching. Now you may say, now wait a minute now, I I totally get the studying and the reading, uh, but I don't know about the teaching. You see, all of us are teaching, whether it is to our families, to our near friends, or even teaching ourselves. And in that, I see great application that we make sure that we're not simply reading through the Scripture as an exercise apart from our own lives and it having an impact on our own lives. You see, we're called to handle the Word of God, cutting it straight. There's a great story that's told about George Mueller. Most of you have heard of him in connection with... um, uh, orphanages and the orphanages that he ran. But listen to what he he said. George Mueller, after having read the Bible through a hundred times, with increasing delight, he made this statement. He said, I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends often say, I have so much to do and so many people to see. I cannot find time for the Scripture and its study. He goes on here, he says, Perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. Listen to what he says. I have, for more than a half a century, I've never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For four years, I have annually had about 30,000 letters. Most of these have passed through my own hands. Now, I did the math, 30,000 letters in a year is about 80 a day. Anybody ever read 80 letters in a given day, but 80 letters nearly every day? Can you imagine? And he doesn't say it, but I'm assuming that he responded to them. Not not only did they come to him, but there was a response to them as well. I'm not finished. Listen, then, Mueller goes on, as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, no computer, no cell phone, no internet, Great has been my care. Besides, I have had the charge of five immense orphanages. Also at my publishing depot, the printing and the circulation of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I've always made it a rule never to begin my work until I had had a good season with God and His Word. The blessing I have received has been wonderful. Now, he's not bragging, friends. 
In fact, if anything, he's saying this is the power plant of getting all that stuff done. And he was daily working, cutting straight the Word of God. That's the kind of work that we are called to do. Second of all, I want you to see by way of application that the passage talks about two kinds of workmen. One is is an approved workman, and one is an ashamed workman. Do you see this? Look at verse 15. Um, Being approved here. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. But then there are those who may well end up ashamed. There's a third application, uh, standing on the shoulders of the last one. The difference between these two groups, the approved group and the ashamed group, is how they handle the Word. It's how they handle the Word. Those who are cutting it straight. It's interesting, though, look at verse 17. We read this earlier as part of our sermon text. And their message will spread, these folk who... Uh, are into profane and idle babblings that increases to more ungodliness. Their message will spread like cancer. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of the short. Notice what verse 18 says. Who have strayed concerning the truth. You know what the word strayed communicates? A swerving. They took their circular saw. They started down that piece of four by eight uh, plywood and it went like this. Hymenaeus and Philetus. They swerved when it came to um, the truth. It's interesting here in verse 18, when it says that they strayed from the truth, they said that the resurrection had already passed, that they overthrew the faith of some. Now here's what's really wrong with mishandling the Word of God, is that it inevitably it is an, uh, a study and, it, and an exegesis, if you will, and an application that misses the mark. It's much like if we fired an arrow, an arrow uh, at a target and it missed the target, that all who are watching the arrow would follow the arrow until it hit the ground. It would, draw, it would draw our eyes away from the target. We wouldn't keep looking at the target. We'd watch the arrow. The arrow. And that's exactly what happens. And it's ours to be very careful when it comes to handling the Word of God. The difference between the two groups is how they handle the Word of God. There's another application. I want you to get this. And that is being an approved workman is someone who understands that they are operating under the authority of the Word. Now you may say, Pastor, that isn't, doesn't everybody know that? That if you are an approved workman that you are operating under the authority. But my friends, so often we don't. Listen, there are those who will come and we are all tempted to do this at times. When we are talking about the blessings and the encouraging things that God's Word sets out, we say, that is the authoritative Word of God. Give me more of that. But in those times where the Word of God says, look, you have to confess your sin to your wife or to your husband or to your children. You have to make this right. God has convicted you of sin. You have to go... I don't know if that's the authoritative word of God. I mean, that's a really good thing to say and a really good thing to do, but I don't know that I need to do it. You with me? We come to those difficult spots in the word and we take the circular saw and we go, 
and we swerve. Yes? And that is tempting for all of us. And here, here's what that's like. It'd be like going to Piccadilly. We're gonna, well, we're going to New China Buffet after lunch. And we could say, you know what? I want some egg drop soup. I'll have some of that, and I'll put that on my tray. But, man, that uh, sweet and sour soup, don't want any of that. Give me uh, the chicken lo mein. I love that, double helping of that. But, oh, that pepper steak, mm, can't do that. I don't want any of that. And we're picking and choosing as we come down, down the buffet line of God's Word, yes? And here's the result of that. Is God's Word like this, the ultimate authority over us under which we reside? Or is the Word of God below us and we are saying as we are over it that we have the right in order to pick and choose? And it is an easy thing to say, wow, I really wish that wasn't in the Word of God. And if nobody's really looking and taking an account of my life, I'm just not going to do it. Which is tantamount to living with the, the, the Bible below us and us making judgments over it. And that is exactly taking that line and not cutting it straight. And it's so easy to do. You think about the hard things in Christian living. You know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anybody ever done that? I've never done that. And nor have you. Or to love your neighbor as yourself or to keep the Lord's day. Idols in our lives. Oh, we're miserable idol generators. But we still have to keep living under those pieces of God's Word that command us to live according to His Word. And we're totally living on grace, running to the Lord for His forgiveness and for His strength and for grace to do what's right. Don't lose hope, my friends. We shall be victorious, to be sure. But is it the final rule? Is God's Word our ultimate authority in our life. One, one last application is this. The Word of God changes things. It changes you. I was talking to somebody even this last week who loves the Lord, clearly has been radically converted in their, their life, but has walked with the Lord for some time and just says, you know, I read it and I don't always get a whole lot out of it. And I just sort of lose traction in reading it. Did you realize that you're more... You read God's Word, the more you desire it. By the way, the more you pray, the more you want to pray. You ever realize that? You know, kind of like when you're really in the groove, the groove sort of feeds you. But you get out of the Word, and it's hard to get started again. But my friends, it's that regular daily exposure, like General Harrison, that changes you. It, it gives you the fortitude in your life to be able to say, you know what, I've got to do what God calls me to do. No one's going to pat me on the back. In fact, there'll be plenty of people with whom I work who will say, why are you doing that? Nobody else does. And you know this is what God has called you to do. And you say, no, this is cutting the word straight. No, this is being faithful with what God has entrusted to me. I am one of the seven billion people on the earth who got the book. 
but it changes people. It changes you as you are going through life. It strengthens you to do what's right. It strengthens you to resist doing the wrong. I'll tell you a quick story, and we'll end with this. There's a story that's told about uh, a guy who was an actor in a, uh, the theater at, in Moscow. In fact, he was a matinee idol, Alexander Rostenzev was his name. Rostenzev was, uh, was actually carrying on a play, and it was a play that was to mock Jesus. The play was entitled Christ in a Tuxedo. And in the middle of this play, he's converted. This is what happened. His lines were to read a portion of the Sermon on the Mount and then take off his robe, I suppose it looked like what Jesus might wear, and to reveal a tuxedo underneath and then to put on a top hat and, um, and basically to exclaim at that point, give me my tuxedo and my top hat. So they come to this point in the play and he begins to read the, the, the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And at this point, he began to tremble. And he was supposed to stop and at this point say, Give me my tuxedo and my top hat. But he didn't stop. He kept reading the Beatitudes. He just kept reading them. And people are going, (coughs) 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 They're trying to get the guy to stop. He goes through the entire Beatitudes. And he comes down to the end and he recites this verse that he recalled from his childhood that he had learned uh, in his little church. And it was Luke 23, 42. It was, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And before the curtain could ultimately fall, this man had been converted to Christ. By reading the scriptures, no one really explaining at that moment, I'm confident that there were those who had explained the scriptures to him in the way of the gospel that's there but my friend you know if you are struggling in life at this point and we all are to some degree or other it is the word of God that is your hope it is your strength it is that lamp unto your feet a light unto your path and it does change you it causes people to come to saving faith in Christ it causes you to be strong to do what God has called you to do That's why we've got to be in it. It's being in it where we find ourselves approved to God, not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, how we thank you for your summarizing your heart. And Father, we do find it amazing that an infinite God with infinite wisdom and knowledge, knowing all things from the end, knowing the end from the beginning, knowing all contingencies, knowing all possibilities, you have shoehorned your desires for your people to know into these 66 books. Father, I pray that that small thought would amaze your people and would drive us to read your word. What an amazing thing. And Lord, in one verse, you have revealed to us so much truth. Lord, help us to see that truth. And I pray that 2012, um, we have 50 more Sundays to go after today. I pray that these weeks as they come by, that, that they would all be used to bring you glory, to find your workmen and workwomen approved unto God. Help us, Lord. May your grace be found to be overwhelmingly sufficient. 
and may we glorify you. I pray for my friends. Give them an insatiable hunger and thirst for the truth. And as they meet with you, Father, may they in fact meet with you. May they not do biblical study as a routine, but may it be routine in their life. Give them success. Bring healing through your word and bring change. And even bring eternal life that comes through Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.